What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network, coming to you live on this Saturday morning, looking ahead to Fulham versus Arsenal in the Premier League. It's going to be a tough game, this one for the Gunners. There's no doubt about that. Fulham flying high this season. They've surpassed everybody's expectations of them going into the campaign, similarly to Arsenal, actually, uh, which makes this a really, really interesting game. I don't think there's an Arsenal fan out there that, having seen Fulham this season, will be taking them lightly. I think we know what we're up against, and I think the fact that we had to play uh, a few of the starting eleven um, on Thursday night is not ideal, of course. Um, so we'll talk about the impact that that will have. We'll talk about, um, you know, how we think this might go. We'll discuss the starting 11. We'll do our statistical preview like we always do. We'll get into all of that on this edition of the show. But to kick off, um, it would be wrong of me to ignore what is going on in the UK at the moment with regards uh, to the BBC. Now, as a lot of you know, I am somebody who does freelance work for the organisation. And I am um, working for the organization today and I'm working for them tomorrow as well. Um, so I'm covering Crystal Palace against Manchester City later on this evening. Uh, full commentary of that game. And I am on reporting duty for the Arsenal game tomorrow uh, afternoon. Now, of course, I'm working for the, the, the localized edition, the London edition of the BBC. Um, although you can find those broadcasts wherever you are, if you have access uh, to, of course, the BBC app. But yeah, I am working for the localized edition. And so I think this is a little bit different. But, you know, some people have said to me, don't talk about it. You know, don't say anything about it. Just just keep your mouth shut. Um, and that way you'll be protected and you'll be safe from any potential repercussions. I think the fact that so many BBC employees of, of much higher profiles than me clearly have come out and taken a stand and shown solidarity um, gives everybody else more confidence that they can at least talk about the situation. And I'm going to talk about it briefly because I don't think this is something that you can just let go. Now, someone saying in the chat, no solidarity, question mark. I'm unfortunately not in a position where I get paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a year to appear on a program Um and I'm not in a position to be able to just drop my work. I wish I was, um, but I'm not. And that's that's the reality of it. It's not being a cop out. If I was copping out, I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it now. Um, for those of you that don't know, for those of you that are tuning in from overseas, what's happened is iconic match of the day presenter Gary Lineker has uh, spoken out against the government policy with regards to immigration. And he made the comparison um, between some of the language that is being used by the Conservative government here in the UK today uh, to that that he thought was um, sort of similar to that that was probably used in 1930s Germany, obviously in the build-up to one of the, well, the, in my opinion, biggest atrocity 
um, sort of in the modern era uh, towards the Jewish people, the Holocaust. So I think that's been taken badly by some people and understandably so. Like I always think it's really difficult to put yourself in someone else's shoes unless you've been there and unless you've experienced it. I personally don't come from a family that was impacted by the Holocaust. So I wouldn't ever pretend uh, to understand how those people feel. Um, what I would say about this comment that, that Gary Lineker made, I don't think it's 100% right. And I probably wouldn't have said it. Um, but what Gary Lineker, I think, was trying to put across, and this is, again, just my opinion, feel free to disagree. But what I think Gary Lineker was trying to put across was the fact that in the lead up to that awful event and, and what happened over a really long period of time, which was absolutely abhorrent and disgusting, in the build up to that, there was division created. There was a division created based on propaganda that, that the German people at the top, not the German people, that the Nazi regime at the time were putting out, which caused the divide, which then in the end put them in a position where they were then going to vote for the regime that then come in and committed this horrible act. And so what Gary Lineker is highlighting is not the Holocaust. I think he's highlighting the build up to the event and how the start of it was by creating division within a country by labeling immigrants or people not originally from your land as something like invaders, which is, I think, the term that has been used by the government to describe people coming into the UK. So um, it, it could have been taken in the wrong way by some people. And I know, as I say, if I was in that position, maybe I'd have taken it in a slightly different way. But I think, you know, you, you can debate that. I think you can debate whether that is a comment that has a place or, or not. What I think you can't debate, though, is people's ability to have an opinion. And I don't think you should be able to shut people down from speaking about anything. Now, some people cross lines. I think it's debatable whether Gary Lineker did cross a line. Um, some people would disagree with me, and that's fine. I, I see both sides to it, as I'm saying. But I think what's happened now is that he's been obviously pushed away from hosting Match of the Day. Um, and then you've seen Ian Wright and Alan Shearer and lots of the pundits uh, stepping away also saying, you know, hold on a minute, this um, this isn't right here. We're going to make a stand as well. Uh, alternative presenters have stepped away as well uh, from the um, from the program and from the show. Uh, we heard last night very late that the commentators from Match of the Day have also stepped away. Uh, the presenter of the BBC Final Score show today has said he's not doing the show this week. And that has led to an influx of reporters also uh, saying that as well. So that's not going to be broadcast. Football Focus um, was pulled away as well. Um, so none of that is going on today. And listen, whatever your thoughts are on what Gary Lineker said and and Believe me, I see both sides. I really, really do. Whatever your thoughts are on what Gary Lineker said, the, the problem of this and the crux of the protest and the issue and the stand that people are taking is, is probably not because of the debate as to what Gary Lineker said, whether it was right and wrong. It's because of the fact that the BBC have got other people working within their organisation that have commented on political matters and and have gone unpunished. And now as a result of that, people are looking at it and going, well, hold on a minute. This is 
because he spoke out against the government. Had he said something the other way around, uh, had he backed the other side or backed the other horse, maybe there would have been a negative reaction on social media, et cetera, et cetera. But the government wouldn't be lobbying now to get Gary Lineker sacked. And, you know, we read this morning, you know, that 36 MPs have complained and asked for a um, an apology from Gary Lineker. Uh, they've written uh, letters asking for an apology. And it's, it's just caused this whole massive thing. There's a massive divide in England at the moment between the left and the right. And that has been going on for a little while now. I think the Brexit thing for me was really the start of this uh, massive divide between the two sides. And it's just been going on and on and on. And now we're at a point where it's impossible to ignore it anymore because it's spilling over into our sport, into all these different things. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's, as I say, I think there's problems um, with what Gary Lineker said in terms of the way that that can be taken. And I understand that. But equally, I don't think that was his intention. Um I don't think his intention was to offend the Jewish population. I really don't. Now, that's not to say that he hasn't and that they don't have a right to feel offended. They absolutely do if that's how they feel. I just don't think that's what Gary Lineker set out to do. I think Gary Lineker set out to um, to criticise a policy that I think probably half of the country thinks is a, is a nonsense, if not more. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a complicated one. But, listen, I put out a tweet this morning um, as I do on a Saturday when I'm going to work, detailing what game uh, I'm going to go to. Um, and I had about six or seven replies within about a minute um, calling me all sorts. I had DMs calling me all sorts. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to delete this tweet because what is the point? Like, I'm a football reporter, football commentator who is going to cover a football match. Um, and, and I don't, have the education around the political sort of back and forth right now to be able to sit here and, and give you guys a lecture on it or a detailed analysis or breakdown. I'm just saying what I see and what I see is two sides um, to this thing, a lot of division at the moment. And uh, Gary Lineker with his huge platform um, has an opinion. He's been caught in the crossfire now though, of what we call nowadays cancel culture and you know, there is certain things that people say or do for which they deserve to be cancelled. And there's no issue with that. But there are also things that people do and say that don't cross the line, perhaps as far as some other people have managed to get away with. And it's the whole inconsistency that um, that drives people uh, crazy. Um and, and Tom uh, says plenty of Jewish people support him too. I've read a point by point comparison on the government's propaganda by a Jewish historian proving how accurate the comments were. Yeah, I, I think I think there is um, a lot of Jewish people that support him as well. That's absolutely right. I've spoken to five or six um, whom I work with in the, over the past couple of days that um, that took no offense to it. But I've seen others um, that have taken offense to it. And so, again, that's why I keep saying I can see both sides. I can't tell you what it feels like uh, to have had relatives, family members um, harmed or, or, or even killed because of the Holocaust. I I couldn't possibly convey that feeling because I've never felt it. Um, obviously, I have loads and loads of sympathy. Um, you know, I've, I've got loads of sympathy for the families that were involved. But to sit here and pretend that I understand it fully 
would be disingenuous of me and I, and I think disrespectful. So I'm not going to say to those people, you shouldn't be offended. It's up to you how you take it and, and whether it kind of, it, it did offend you. But what I will say is we're playing a really, really dangerous game if we're going to get to the point where if it suits the government agenda, we are shutting somebody down completely. But if it doesn't, we can allow them to run riot in what they say and with their huge platform. So, yeah, anyway, that's listen, that's enough about that. I am going to cover the game today. Um, I am a little bit nervous about it because I don't know what kind of reception I'm going to get, you know, and that's not anything to do with me. I haven't um, been involved in this thing, but, you know, my job as a commentator would be to go there and cover the match and to get post-match interviews and to send them back to the studio, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't really know what kind of reception I'm going to get if I'm going to get any of that access at all. Um, and it's a, it's a shit position to be in, but yeah, I, I thought it would be wrong of me to completely overlook the situation, just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. Um, so, uh, I thought I'd talk about it at the start of the show. So, um, there we go. That's that out of the way. Oh, not a nice conversation. Um, but anyway, uh, let's uh, move on then. Let's focus on what we're actually here to focus on, which is Fulham versus Arsenal in the Premier League coming up this weekend. Um, a big, big game, uh, of course, uh, for the Gunners, as we said. Now, Manchester City are in action later today at the time of recording and have the ability with a win at Crystal Palace, who have been in dreadful form of late, to close the gap. Uh, on Arsenal just to two points again, putting the pressure on Arsenal going into their game, obviously, tomorrow. So, you know, we'll be watching this one on, I'm sure. There'll be a lot of interest from the uh, north side of London looking over at this one. And we'll be hoping that Crystal Palace and Patrick Vieira, our old mate, um, could um, could uh, <laughs> could do us a favour. That would be nice, wouldn't it? I think we've, um, you know, we've... We've got to hope, haven't we, from week to week. But if they don't, if Manchester City go out there and win, and if Manchester City uh, get all three points on the board, then we we don't dwell on that. We don't get upset by that. We just have to kind of focus on our game, make sure that we go and do our job. And then in that case, and in that instance, it doesn't really matter uh, what happens, of course, um, at Selhurst Park this evening. Let's have a quick look at this uh, game from a statistical point of view. Uh, I think it's really, really important that we do that, as we always do. Um, Fulham versus Arsenal. There have been 31 meetings between these two sides in Premier League history. The Gunners have won 22 of them. Fulham have won just three of those fixtures. And there have been six draws as well between the pair. Uh, if we go into recent meetings, Arsenal beat Fulham earlier on in the season at Emirates Stadium. Uh, that was a stressful afternoon from what I remember. Gabriel Magalhaes with an 86-minute winner uh, that had to be checked by VAR. Remember that? That was a nervy few moments. If you go back uh, to uh, April 2021, so it was back in the last season, uh, we were held to a 1-1 draw by Fulham. Um, wait, hold on. Yeah, it was the back end. No, it wasn't the back end of last season. It was the back. Yeah. Was it the back end of last season or the season before? No, it was the back end of the season before because they weren't in the Premier League. Jeez, I'm confusing myself there. Um, but then if you take it back uh, to September 2020, for example, Arsenal won uh, 3-0 um, at Craven Cottage right at the start of that campaign. And of course, uh, we uh, beat them 4-1 back on January 1st, 2019 and 5-1 at Craven Cottage on the 7th of October 2018. Now, I've never been um, to... Uh, 
I've never been to um, Craven Cottage, so I'm interested to see what the experience is like. Uh, nice little ground down on the Thames. Hopefully one from which Arsenal could take all three points uh, tomorrow, which is more important. But uh, taking it on in terms of the statistics, form guide, Arsenal have won four of their last five. What a way to respond uh, to the difficulty that we did have uh, in those three fixtures against Everton, Brentford and Manchester City. We've responded in the best possible way. Now, if you look at those results, the 4-2 win at Aston Villa, obviously a game in which we had to dig deep and we maybe got a little bit of fortune with the way that things turned around in the end, but we went on to win it 4-2. We beat Leicester away very, very comfortably. The scoreline, um, you know, didn't really tell the full story of how things went at the King Power that day. If you take it on to Everton at home, I thought we were fantastic after we managed to break the deadlock, what, 30, 35 minutes in. And then uh, the game last weekend at Bournemouth was incredible, insane, uh, absolute scenes at Emirates Stadium as Arsenal uh, came from two goals down to win that one right at the death. And that could be a huge, huge moment in the title race. A uh, big thanks to uh, Alex, who says, good to see you on BT yesterday, Harry. Thanks a lot, mate. I've had a load of lovely messages uh, for that feature on the Premier League preview show. It was aired on BT Sport last night. I think it was on again at some crazy time, 2 or 3 a.m. this morning, UK time. But it will be going out on, or it would have gone out uh, across the world on the Premier League rights holders uh, channel. So um, you might have caught that even if you're in another part of the world. I will get a clip of it eventually. I haven't got one just yet. Uh, but once I get one, I will share that with you guys uh, so you can check it out. But a really cool feature where we kind of look back on that win over Bournemouth, but also looked ahead to this game against uh, Fulham, of course. Um, seasons so far, the Gunners sit in first place. As we know, Fulham, to, much, to many people's surprise, are in seventh. They've won 11 games so far this season, drawn six, lost nine. The Gunners have won 20, drawn three and lost three. Average goals scored per match. Arsenal currently averaging 2.27 per game in comparison to Fulham's 1.46. Average goals conceded per match, the Gunners 0.96, uh, but of course Fulham are at 1.31. They've managed eight clean sheets this season. We've managed 11. In terms of chances created per match, and I always caveat this one because I don't really know what they, I don't really understand the criteria here. What do they class as a chance? Is it a clear-cut goal-scoring opportunity? I don't know. Um, I don't know. But anyway, according to the Premier League's website, Arsenal create 1.92 chances per match in comparison to Fulham's 1.04. So uh, those are some of the statistics. Let's give you a few more just before we move on. In terms of goals in the Premier League this season among the two groups of players, Gabriel Martinelli and Alexander Mitrovic are joint top on 11. Bukayo Saka then sits in third with 10. When it comes to assists, Bukayo Saka leads the way. He's got nine on the board. And in joint second, it's Andreas Pereira and Martin Odegaard. When it comes to passes, William Saliba leads the way, closely followed by his central defensive colleague, Gabriel Magalhaes, with Tim Ream in third. And when it comes to tackles, Fulham's main man, Joao Paulinha, leads the way with 101. Kenny Tete is second with 57. And Thomas Partey is third, with four. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. 
The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Producing a balanced budget, not just for football. And saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. But the important news, and the big thing here, is that Joao Palinha one of Fulham's most impressive players this season, arguably their most important, perhaps outside of Alexander Mitrovic, is missing from this game. He is suspended, and that gives Arsenal a huge, huge, huge boost. I think, anyway, I think it really increases our chances of being able to control the midfield, of being able to dominate, of being able to, um, you know, to to flood that area of the park and therefore get a grip on the game and therefore be as creative as we want to be. I do expect us to face a low block. Um, I, I really do. Um, Marco Silva said that there will be times in this game where Fulham have to do things that they don't really want to do, that they don't really feel 100% comfortable in doing because he knows that Arsenal are going to come there, Arsenal are going to have a lot of the ball and Arsenal are going to cause them a lot of problems. I want to talk a little bit about the team selection. I think that's a, a really important thing to do um, because of the fact that we've got players missing. We've got players that have played in, in midweek that maybe that's not ideal. We've got players in and around the squad like um, Emil Smith-Rowe, for example, who I don't think is anywhere near the fitness level at which he needs to be to be able to impact games right now. From the start, what I'm saying is I don't think you can trust his fitness right now to name him in the starting 11. We've also got Martin Erdegaard, who was sick and unavailable in Lisbon. Is he better? Is he back? Is he ready? We'll get into all of that. So uh, we don't know exactly uh, what the situation is with a lot of those players I've mentioned, but we can kind of guess. And based on uh, the situation that I think we're in, I, I would assume that Leandro Trossard is unavailable. I would assume that Eddie Nketiah is unavailable. I would assume that Emil Smith-Rowe is still not fit enough to start. Um, and I would assume that Kieran Tierney is still absent as well. Um, not that that really, that one, the Kieran Tierney one, makes a difference to my team selection. I think what we're going to have to do here is probably start in a certain way, maybe with a view to changing things up if we need to later on in the game. And so my team, uh, based on the fitness news we know, I'm assuming in this that Martin Odegaard is at least fit enough to start, is going to be Ramsdale in goal. White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko across the back. Partey comes back into the midfield for me, makes the world of difference. Xhaka on the left eight, uh, Odegaard on the right with Saka on the right wing, Martinelli leading the line and Nelson from the left. So the same forward line that played in Sporting uh, the other day. Uh, so that's my team to face Fulham. And that's, again, based on the injury news uh, that I, I kind of know at the moment and, and what we're led to believe. It would be lovely if Gabriel Jesus was somehow involved from the bench. Um, but Mikel Arteta has been very clear that there is no intention to rush him back, even with Eddie Nketiah and Leandro Trossard out by the looks of things. Uh, Reese Nelson was very, very bright against Bournemouth. Was bright at times, I thought, against Sporting Lisbon. Not quite as impactful, but the team in general uh, wasn't anywhere near as cohesive. So I don't really want to pin that on him. And I'm interested to see what he can do in a Premier League game, in a Premier League setting with the best team available around him. 
because uh, that certainly wasn't the case at the weekend. Sorry, that wasn't the case in midweek. I beg your pardon. When it comes to uh, Martin Odegaard, now I know he's been ill and I know he might not be 100%. But what I would say now is that I have a lot more faith in Fabio Vieira to be able to come in in that specific position with 20, 25 minutes to go and not weaken us. Because I think over time he's developed and he's he's got better and he's got more comfortable. And, and the more we see of him, the more he impresses. I think he and William Saliba were Arsenal's two best players out in Lisbon on Thursday night. So I now have more trust and more faith in the fact that if Odegaard isn't 100% and can only get through 65, 70 minutes, we now have someone who can come on and can help us in that position. Now, he's not exactly the same type of player as Martin Odegaard. Yes, OK, he's left-footed and he'd be slotting into the right eight position, which means there are some similarities. But I think he's a lot more of a, you know, Odegaard's more of a tempo setter, a rhythm setter, closes people down better. Um, you know, is quite happy when he receives the ball to pop it off to someone else. Fabio Vieira is a little bit more individual in the way that he will take the ball on and have a shot from distance, maybe more frequently than Martin Odegaard will. He will look for the blockbuster defence splitting pass, perhaps earlier than Martin Odegaard will. So they're not exactly the same type of player, but to have someone that can come into that position, I think is really, really important, particularly with a concern over how fit Martin Odegaard is. Um, so yeah, that's where I am on that. Uh, ben White, uh, right back, fine. Saliba Gabriel is our best defensive partnership by a country mile. Um, I've sort of had some time to re kind of reflect on Jakob Kivior's performance the other day post-match. I was a little bit annoyed about it. Um, not annoyed, that's the wrong word. I was a little bit disappointed by what I saw from him. Uh, but having sort of watched it back again and again, I wonder if he does get a call from Matt Turner, which causes him to leave the ball for Sporting's first. And when I think about some of the sloppy passes he played in the first half, which kind of really frustrated me, Having watched the game back, he wasn't the only one. And there were players that you can normally trust to do that very, very well that also weren't hitting that mark on the day. So, yeah, um, I'm kind of over that now. Uh, Zinchenko will play at left back, I think. I, I don't think we've got much choice if Kiarantini is still unavailable. Uh, but even if he is available, he changes the way we play a lot. And um, and I don't think that Mikel Arteta is willing to, uh, to sort of I don't know what the right word is here, but to, to compromise on our style, um, you know, and, and that's what you do if you play Kirantini over Zinchenko. He's going to go on the outside a lot more. When he comes infield, he's not quite as comfortable. Will we need that option, though? Maybe in a game like Fulham away, where we probably will face a, a low block in a tight ground on a tight pitch. Will we need to get around the outside of them from time to time? Possibly. Um, not ideal that Martinelli and Saka had to play on Thursday and as many minutes as they did. Not ideal that Granit Xhaka had to play. Not ideal that Ben White played. Uh, not ideal that Saliba played. But this is where we are. You know, Mikel Arteta said something in his post-match interview, which I thought was, was spot on. We can talk about protecting people and rotation and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day... Um, you play for a big club that's competing on multiple fronts. You have to be able to play every few days. That's just how it goes. Um, and that's that's part of the territory, isn't it? So are we are we too worried about that? Are we giving the players too much kind of leeway in the sense of, well, hold on a minute, guys. If you want to play for an elite team at the highest level, you're going to have to get used to this. So stop moaning about it. Don't use it as an excuse. Get on with it. Go out there and perform. Maybe. Maybe there's an element of that. Maybe it's because we've seen 
Uh, Arsenal get burnt by this in the past. Arsenal not be strong enough to maintain their level throughout. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, don't forget to leave a like on the video. Someone said in the chat, there is PJ Kitely. Leave a like. Harry will just badger us if we don't. Exactly. I will. So, well, I'm going to do it anyway. But leave a like. <laughs> Subscribe uh, to the channel if you are new. And we'll be back with post-match player ratings on our another Slice platform uh, for our members over there. Uh, within an hour of the full-time whistle tomorrow. Uh, but then on top of that, uh, because of the timing of the game, I'll be able to come home and give you guys a post-match podcast uh, to uh, consume on the Sunday night. And if you prefer to listen on the Monday morning, it will be ready. Um, it will be ready for you guys uh, to consume then on your way to work or wherever. Uh, let's take some of your questions, some of your thoughts. I'll give you guys my prediction while you're getting those in. My prediction is a 2-1 Arsenal win. I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think we'll have enough. Um, and I'm really positive uh, or, or really buoyed, I guess, by the fact that Palina is missing because I think he's really, really important to them. I watched bits of their game against Brentford the other night and I thought without him, they really struggled to control the midfield. Arsenal's midfield has a lot more quality than Brentford's midfield. And I think that as a consequence of that and as a result of that, Arsenal should be able to create the chances they need. Um, I quite like Martinelli up front. I think he's all action. I really enjoy watching him play there. Um yeah, and hopefully he can continue his decent run of form as well. Okay, let's do questions. Uh, what have we got? Uh, Tired Gunasaurus says, Harry, Tommy played much better or plays much better as an inverted left back than Tierney. Maybe he does, but then he doesn't give you that ability to go on the outside. Kieran Tierney is not as comfortable on the inside, but is more comfortable on the outside. And so you, you kind of got to weigh up what it is that you want from your fullback in an attacking sense. I don't like Tommy Asu in the attacking third. I really don't. I think he's lacking there. I think that's where he lets himself down or isn't an elite level fullback, in my opinion. Like, I think he's a good fullback. But I think you've seen the difference this season. Look at the difference when Ben White gets into that final third in terms of creating things, getting on the end of things, uh, keeping moves going with better control and better decision-making, a calmness, a composure. So I think Ben White has shown or has shone a light on Tommy Asu's, I don't know, I don't want to use the word flaws, but maybe shortcomings, I guess, or, or the areas that he's not as strong at. I think he's showed that um, Ben White this season. And so to put Tommy Asu then on the left side, which is his wrong side, I know people talk about him being two-footed. How many people really are truly two-footed? But then to put him on the, the wrong side and think that he's going to do a better job going forward, I, I find it hard to believe. Um I think Tierney can adapt, but he hasn't had a lot of game time to be able to do that. And unfortunately, when you're in a title race and you haven't had European football for so long, because we went months, remember, without participating in the Europa League, there was no opportunity to give Kieran Tierney the chances to, to show that and, and to develop that. And I'm 100% sure that had Kieran Tierney been fit and available on Thursday, he would have played. If he's available on Thursday, uh, this Thursday coming, that is, I'm sure he will play as well. Um, so yeah, we, we just kind of got to see, but Tommy Asu for me, the, the, the benefit of Tommy Asu is that he can play in a multitude of positions and that he's a pretty good one-on-one -on -one defender. But I think when you ask him to get involved in build-up play, I think that's where he falls a little bit short. Uh, PJ says, Harry, do you think it's a blessing in disguise that Arsenal didn't get the top four last season? I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise because obviously we were disappointed not to get it, you know, and we were disappointed. Um, 
with uh, with kind of how that all went. I think it, it wasn't detrimental. Is That's probably the way I would look at it because of the fact that the club still spent, they still backed Mikel Arteta, they still brought in the players that they needed. And obviously we're in a position now where we have been able to rotate in the Europa League and get to this point whilst focusing primarily on the Premier League and look where we are as a consequence of it. So blessing in disguise, maybe. Um, I just, I this is going to sound really childish and, and maybe a little bit petty, but I just find it hard to say that Arsenal missing out on something that we so desperately wanted is a blessing in disguise. But I get where you're coming from and I think it's a very valid point. Um, what else have we got? Um, Sko says, uh, hold on, I've clicked on his wrong comment. Have I? Uh, where is it? Yeah, I think I clicked on Sko's wrong comment. There was something about Martinelli. Where is it? Here we go. Uh, Martinelli is fun up front, but versus a low block with no space to run in behind, I see a frustrating match. Then people blaming him or the number 10s for not creating with zero space. I think we got to accept that. We um, we will face low blocks pretty much every week now, and we have to find alternative solutions to breaking them down. What I would say about Martinelli in comparison to maybe Enketia, for example, is that um, is that if we do get limited or forced to play the ball wide, then we do have to put balls in towards the edge of the six-yard box. I'd actually back Martinelli to get on the end of one of those more than I would uh, Enketia or, or even Jesus. I think aerially, Gabriel Martinelli's got something to offer. We saw it a lot at the start of his Arsenal career, and it was kind of coached out of him a little bit because of the way that we played. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think whoever plays up front for Arsenal is going to struggle when we face those low blocks. I think Gabriel Jesus is the best equipped because of his amazing dribbling ability in tight spaces and his game intelligence to break those blocks down. But if you're talking Martinelli, Enketia, uh, Trossard, I think we have, I think those three players have a lot of the same issues when faced with that type of side. Trossard's got a little bit more guile, maybe he's a little bit more subtle in his movement and maybe that uh, helps us. But I think generally speaking, I think those three players I've just mentioned probably will all struggle in a similar way against that type of defence. And, and we're going to come up against that again. Make no mistake about it. Uh, hi, Harry. Don't you think Pepe's low move is a bad one, looking at the fact that Saka has been overused? Um, it, look, Pepe would have only been of use to us if he was ready to come into the team and help us. And if his attitude was right and if his head was right. And I understand why Nicolas Pepe wasn't happy at Arsenal. He came in for £72 million, uh, wasn't deemed good enough uh, by this current management, which I think a lot of people probably agree with. And, you know, it just didn't go the way he wanted. And so he was down in the dumps and he needed to move on. Personally, I wouldn't leave Bukayo Saka out of a team with any confidence that Nicolas Pepe was going to come in and even half fill those boots. I think we saw moments and flashes from Pepe at certain times, particularly in the cup competitions, particularly in the Europa League. But we never saw anything consistent enough to give me any confidence that he would be someone that could come in and um, and backfill the position. So I, like, I think it's really easy to say that with hindsight, but I'm not I'm not worried about that. I think Arsenal made the right decision to loan him out because they might be able to sell him in the summer and get something rather than nothing. And it won't be anywhere near the £72 million that Arsenal paid for him. But, um, you know, we've got to get him out the door. And if, if him going out on loan and playing makes him more desirable to other clubs, then, then that's just the way it's got to be. Uh, Shayla Library Television says, Harry, do you think we'll sign Saka? I'm still a football newbie and I'm getting nervous, but don't know if my nervousness is warranted. Based on all the noises that we're hearing 
and and all the things that are being spoken about, it feels as though the Bukayo Saka deal in terms of tying him down to a new contract, it's not a question of if now, it's a question of when. And I think it will be done uh, very, very soon. My personal guess would be that it's probably pretty much done already, but the Arsenal are waiting for the right time to announce that news. Uh, it's probably a case of just uh, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, etc., etc. I think that that's not one that you should be worrying about at the moment. Martinelli's done. Saka's nearly done. I think Saliba is the one that we need to uh, focus on now as well. Uh, final question. I'm going to take this one from Tom, uh, who says, Harry, what happened to our ability to defend set pieces so effectively? We almost had a perfect season on that front, but it feels like a weakness of us these days. I completely agree with you, Tom. It's it's something that is just, I think I read something like our XG um, when defending set pieces went from something like 0.3, uh, yeah, 0.3 something to to just under one. So it's it's dramatically increased. Um, so yeah, there is a problem there and I don't know what it is. I don't think that the set piece coach, for example, is doing anything different. I don't think that they've changed anything. I think other teams, uh, have maybe worked out how we like to defend them and have tried to expose certain areas. That's the kind of the, the jousting back and forth that you get between managers and coaches in terms of their, uh, approaches to games. Um, I just think that maybe, well, I think more than anything that in the on the occasions that we've been caught out this season, it's been down to um, a lack of concentration rather than being set up wrong. And maybe that's because um, maybe that's because we uh, maybe that's because we're we're feeling a bit of fatigue sort of at this point in the season. Maybe that's because we're feeling a little bit. Um, I don't know. Maybe we're just maybe we're just burning out a little bit. Maybe we're getting to that point where concentration levels are falling at times, and it's about refocusing and getting back on it when it comes to that because we can't afford to be so vulnerable from set pieces. Uh, Sko says just under one. I'm talking about per game, mate. Not um, every time we concede a set piece. Uh, I'm talking about we're we're expected to concede just under one goal per game on the xG markings. Um, at this moment in time, whereas we were expected to concede um, at sort of uh, 0.031 per game. That was our rate per game, not every set piece that we face. Otherwise, we concede one every single time someone puts a cross in. Uh, but yeah, just to clarify that. <laughs> um, right, guys, look, I am going to um, I'm going to leave it there because I've got to get off to work and stuff. Um, but thank you. Uh, also so much for joining me for bearing with me uh, at the beginning of the show um, for a discussion around a subject that obviously isn't Arsenal related. Um, I really look forward to catching up with you guys tomorrow and um, reflecting on hopefully what will be another three points for the Arsenal and another step forward, fingers crossed. Um, and then, of course, we've got lots of content coming next week. We're going to be uh, back on the show on Monday doing our kind of weekend review thing. Uh, around Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to start our build up to sporting again uh, in the second leg of that. Uh, then we're going to bring you, obviously, a reaction to the sporting game. Uh, then we've got uh, the Crystal Palace game. Um, I'm going to be in France next weekend, but I'll be back on the Sunday morning in time uh, for the Crystal Palace game. So don't worry, we're not skipping anything. We're not missing anything. I'll be headed straight to the Emirates. So um, yeah, I'll see you all soon. Thank you so, so much as always for your unbelievable support. And I'll see you all very, very soon. Until next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.